So, well, good morning again. Welcome everyone, and once again, welcome everyone online. And um, today it is Transfiguration Sunday, but I'm not actually going to talk about Transfiguration. Uh, I will, this is going to be the last in this series that was ended last week, uh, but got interrupted by COVID on things we value. So again, my usual disclaimer is this is more like things Lars thinks that the ELCA more or less values. This isn't an official, uh, there's no official stamp on this, right? These are things that I would highlight to someone if I were to run into them. And uh, today, uh, we'll finish up this by talking about creativity. And um, this one is kind of near and dear to me. I probably talk about it a lot. I believe it's important. I'll, I'll share a little bit why. Um, I do believe when you go into a room, pretty much any room full of people, uh, any place, you, you kind of instinctively start to get a vibe about the place. And I think we're kind of wired that way, right? To walk into an unfamiliar place and start assessing it. Is it safe? Is it not safe? Are these people friendly or not? Um, I think that's really built into us, right? You know, out in the tundra, we walk into a new cave. Is there a mammoth? Is there a sloth? Is there a tiger? Is there another? Is Throg's clan waiting in ambush for me? This kind of stuff, right? So we go into a room in any kind of community, including a church, and we start to get a, a feel for the room. And different churches are designed to give a different feel. And I'm going to paint a little bit, here we go, broad, blah, 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 broad brush again. These aren't absolute either ors, but in general, you go into a church and they tend to exude either uh, that the either tradition, or I would call it mass marketing, or innovation. And again, these can overlap and mix. For the purpose of today, we'll kind of run with it. The traditional church, you know the traditional church. Uh, we're kind of a traditional church, maybe mostly. We do have an altar and pyramids and these kind of things. We're not the most traditional church. If you've ever been to one of those with the big Gothic high ceilings, and um, they're more traditional. But the point is that it's conveying lots of meaning, uh, lots of spirituality, lots of value. It's very rich, right? It's a very rich environment you go into. Uh, there's a lot that's being said in it, uh, but it tends to be a little bit fixed. You know, sometimes they'll literally carve it in stone. Um, so that's kind of a tradition church. That's kind of what I grew up in. Um, I, love that. I love that kind of church. Uh, I find it very meaningful. I think there's also churches that are designed for mass marketing, and I don't necessarily mean that in a pejorative way, uh, but you can usually tell a church that's designed, designed in kind of a mass marketing mindset because they have a certain look to it, and it tends to be kind of bland. Um, and, and to overgeneralize, they tend to be bland. Uh, the outside tends to be very clean and slick. The inside tends to be very white walls, very plain. You don't see drawings. You don't see art. You don't see uh, uh, definitely no sculptures. Some won't even put a cross in there. Uh, I remember there was a school of thought. I remember reading in the 90s. The guy said, don't put a cross up front. It's a stumbling block to people. And I thought, who was it that said that? <laughs> oh, that's right. Paul literally said the cross is a stumbling block. Um, but no, don't take down the cross. It was very, very plain. And the thinking behind it isn't that they hate the cross and the cross is evil, 
the thinking behind it is to have the broadest possible appeal. Right? It's designed to have the broadest possible appeal. And if you've ever been in charge of picking colors and flooring for a church, you will know that white walls and blue carpet have the biggest possible appeal. Says guy in room with white walls and bluish carpet, right? So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You want to appeal to as many people as you can, right? Um, and of course, keeping it kind of plain offends the fewest number of people. The fewest number of people you offend, of course, the more you're likely to bring in. It makes sense, right? Um, and where you do have visuals or drama or these kind of things, they tend to be very carefully chosen, sometimes even down to focus groups and demographic studies. You know, you don't just tell the musician, hey, give me a song from your heart about the resurrection. You would say, okay, let's listen to that song and have a focus group test it and see how they respond to it, right? Um, and so everything would be very, even when it's creative, it's very controlled. And again, it's, that's not necessarily bad. You know, if you want to reach an audience, you think about what would reach the audience. You set up parameters. Uh, it makes very good sense for a business. If I was running a business, I would absolutely do this, right? Let me give you another comparison to help illustrate this. Um, Starbucks, right? We all, know, we all know Starbucks, right? I think I drive by five of them between my house and uh, uh, here, if you count all the ones in the grocery stores. Um, you go into a Starbucks, how do they decorate the Starbucks? Right? They decorate the Starbucks with you know, pictures that are pretty universal. You'll get, you'll get the artsy-fartsy coffee bean picture. Right? You know where they have like a bag of coffee beans and, and, and you know, they go down and then they get the wide-angle lens you know, and, the, and, 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 the, and the shallow depth of field. This is all kind of camera lingo, but what it means is you get like two beans that are really, really in focus and the rest is all really blurry like this was, and you go, ooh, that's a cool, and you're like, it's just a bag of beans. Or they'll do the same thing with the table. You know, they'll come up close, they'll, get a, they'll tilt the camera and zoom in on the table, then they'll put it in black and white, and you'll see the picture and you'll be like, wow, that's really cool, and you're like, it's just a table and a chair, right? And they're really good at making it a cool table and chair, but why do they do that? No one's ever gonna be offended by that table and chair. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they put a table and chair on the wall, right? Now compare that to your local independent university neighborhood coffee house. If you've ever been in those, I've been in most of the ones down there, um, at least as of 2010. Um, for example, Bentley's. Bentley's just closed it right there at Speedway and Campbell. They were one of the first ones. They started in the 80s uh, before Wi-Fi existed. And, um, and you would go in there and it was a very colorful room to begin with, kind of a reddish color. And, and, but they had these built-in shelves all along the walls you know, only about so far out. Uh, they had a little groove, they'd, they'd kind of route it in there, and, and, and they would change, you didn't know, week to week, month to month, they'd put different art in there, and they would feature different local artists. And then they'd give you a little biography, you know, this is who the local artist is this week. And um, sometimes you'd go in and it'd be just, you know, it'd be sunflowers or sunsets or something. And then every now and then you'd go in there and it was, it was something that'd make you go, whoa! Right? You know, it, it would be something a little bit more shocking. You know, you'd get something like, this week's display is by local artist Jillian Anderson, who's telling her story of the deconstruction of trauma and blood. 
And so you're looking at all these paintings. They've got gaudy frames, and there's red everywhere, and stuff glued onto them all over, and, and it, almost like it's jumping out at you. And you'd see this thing, and you'd sit down with your laptop going, whoa, what's going on here? And it would really kind of shake you up a little bit, or maybe shake you up a lot bit. And it's exactly the kind of thing where you know, someone would come in, one person would come in and see this, and, and I could imagine that someone would go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been going through for years. Thank God somebody finally said it. I mean, this just really connects. This is where I've been for so long. I'm so glad they featured, you know, this work. The next person's going to come in and go, gosh, what happened? Did Michaels and Lowe's have a sale? You just bought a bunch of red paint and splattered it all over? I don't get it. Okay. You know, I, I don't get it has been a response I've gotten many times. Um, so some will love. Some will love the boldness. Some will love the expression and the individual creativity. And some will clearly not love it. There's probably not going to be a ton of middle ground. But that's what you go in there expecting, right? You go in there expecting uh, that there will be this individual creative expression that will be showcased in a public way. And, and I think that's really, in many ways, the difference between a mass marketing kind of environment and a really creative environment. Not that it doesn't take creativity sometimes to be good at mass marketing. But remember, mass marketing, ultimately, at the end of the day, works on a basic principle of figure out what people want, what they want, what they like, what they agree with, what they value, and either give it back to them or promise them that your product will give them that. You're not challenging people in any way. You're giving them what they already want. And you, the more basic that gift is, the more likely the bigger your appeal, right? You go into the creative environment, that place can jar you, right? It can confront you, it can challenge you, it can make you rethink things, it can force you to go, wait, what, what is that really saying there? Why are those two things together? Or, you know, and all those, you know, and you sit there at your laptop, and I know the owners of Bentleys, they finally closed. Um, they, they said they hated laptops and they hated Wi-Fi, uh, and they waxed eloquent about the 80s when people just came in and socialized with random strangers. Um, you know, I never tried that in Bentleys to just walk up to random strangers and go, hi, can you, why don't we put down our laptops and talk to me? I'm not sure in our culture that would go over, you know, what's this, what's this guy doing talking to me here? Um, right? Time's changed. But you're sitting there and you're looking up and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like it's pushing you. It's pushing you a little bit. And that's, the, that's what it's designed to do. They kind of push you to move you to open up a little bit, to rethink things. That's what creative expression does. That's what a creative environment is. It's designed to be a little challenging and pushing, but those very things are also what make life challenging and pushing and jarring and creativity. And that's exactly what God does in our scriptures. It's the nature of God to both comfort us and to challenge us to open us up, to give us new visions for things. It's the God who we know is the creator who went and made the universe out of nothing. Let's look at Genesis 1. We'll go back to the very beginning here, the very beginning, the first, in the first creation story. In the beginning. Yeah, this is usually how it's narrated, right? You get a, you, you get a satellite view of the sun coming over Earth, 
right? It comes over the, what do they call it, the azimuth. Um, and it comes over and you get the, the thing and they go, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Now you've heard me do this bit before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, I don't think you can do it too much. In Hebrew, the language that this was written in, the word for spirit and life and wind and breath, it's the same word. Ruach is what it is. Um, and it's, all, it's the same word, and the Old Testament uses them interchangeably. So what is it that's sweeping over the waters? What is it that's sweeping over the formless void? What is it that's bringing light to darkness out of this void? It's the spirit, life, breath of God that is creating by moving and separating, right? We always get this dramatized, you know, so calmly, you know, but if you think about it, there's a, there's a certain kind of violence that comes with separation. You're ripping things apart. You're pulling things. You're moving things, you know, and that's how our universe has been basically been made, by things blowing up and separating, right? And how, how jarring is that? It is the essence of our universe. We know that at the, at the beginning of the universe we are in, that it was a big old bang. And what was that? A big, hot, light, explosive thing. It was bright. It was violent. It was pushing out. It's still pushing out. This is what the Spirit does. It creates. It pushes. It separates things. It moves things around. The Spirit can be very calm and comfortable which is what it did at the end of every day. And then it started up again and made new. This is how creation works. Old things are destroyed. New things are brought to life. Things are split apart. They're brought back together. It can be very beautiful and disruptive at the same time. And that's our God. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The one that we pray will enter our hearts to show us the way of God and then we all cringe when God shows us something that isn't quite what we were expecting. Let's look at another passage. Isaiah 45. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, I, there is no God. I arm you, though you do not know me, so that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the skies rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation may spring up, and let it cause righteousness to sprout up also. I, the Lord, have created it. Notice how God is the creator, but the creator of all things. He makes light and dark. He makes weal and woe. Always weal and woe. I was kind of reading that, and I'm like, that sounds like what Scrooge ate at Christmas in his porridge, you know? Oh, Mr. Scrooge, you just ate in the weal and woe. 
Yeah, little Johnny, you better do your lesson or you're going to have wheel and woe. I don't know. This is the only place I've ever heard the word wheel, but I, all, I just, all I can see is a Dickens novel. But the point, you know, we, wheel, is, wheel is abundance, woe is the opposite. So, you know, the point is that the creator of all things makes all things. And to participate in creation, to be the creator, to be creative, you end up doing both things and making both things happen. And so you can't have one without the other. It's all a package deal. Let me use another analogy. You're struggling as a business. You want to turn it around. It's been declining for years. And you know that, that, you, know that, you, can't, that you can't just keep doing it the same. You know you're going to have to make changes. Think about, I just read about this, Kmart. Kmart's down to four stores now. Four in the world. In their heyday, they had like 3,800. Although I could tell you, even in the heyday in the 90s, I had a, one of my high school classmates. We were like, hey, Mike, you going to join us this Friday? He's like, no, I got a shift at Came Apart. He called it Came Apart. You know it's bad when people are saying that in your heyday. You could, I could kind of already see things going downhill, right? I mean, just basic things like clean your floor and get some new tile and put a coat of paint on there. I mean, I, 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 you don't have to be HGTV to know that when your store looks worn and run down and tired, that it's, it's going to start struggling. I mean, it's like the, the groundwork was laid, right, for something else to come. And, but they didn't, you know, it's almost like they didn't want to bite the bullet and understand that, look, there's competition, there's things changing, there's things happening. You know, if we're going to turn around, we're going to have to do some stuff, and there's, it's going to hurt in some places. We're going to have to move things around. Maybe some people might go. Some new people might come in. What could come from it could be really cool, but it's not going to come without some destruction. But they didn't do that. So they had only a slow, gradual decline. And then there were four Kmarts. It'll probably be like Blockbuster, you know. There'll be one left in some town in Kentucky, and People will go there to get selfies. <laughs> so, let me give you another example. You go to your doctor and your doctor tells you, your we did your labs and you've got, beep, 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 and rattles off all these percentages and decimals and stuff, and says, your lifestyle needs to be healthier. You need to improve your lifestyle. Um, and, of course, you kind of know where this is headed, right? You know, you know what the doctor's going to say. Your doctor's going to say you have to give up a bunch of stuff, right? Maybe certain foods that you're used to, uh, maybe sitting around so much, uh, maybe, maybe working too much. You might have to take on some new things, maybe walk a little bit more, eat your broccoli. You know the drill, right? You have to let go and let loose in order to create yourself anew, which is why creativity is so hard, fundamentally, is that it involves disruption as much as it involves comfort, and usually the disruption before the comfort. As, as someone I, I read said it beautifully, it isn't change that we're afraid of, it's loss. Because when you change, there's something that's gone, and you grieve that, and that something was meaningful and valuable to you, and now it's gone. It isn't that we, we don't mind changing. I mean, who, who among us still wears members-only jackets? I used to have one. My kids were looking at a picture of me from 
the 90s, and my daughter was like, there's that jacket. I was like, wow, I had that thing, uh, I had that thing well into the 2010s. It didn't have the full things. But we change our clothes, we change our houses, we change our cars. We, we, we change a lot, but there are certain things, if they have that kind of meaning to us, it's harder to change. I get it. So, what does this have to do with us as a church? I mean, a lot of this stuff's kind of standard change theory that, that anyone could tell you. You pick it up in any business blog. Um, but I think, getting back to kind of looking at our church, I think that we're in a good spot in some ways as ELCA Lutherans to create this kind of space, this kind of spiritual community that, has a be- that can have some good resonance with our world these days, with the zeitgeist, to use a fancy word. And what I mean by that is this. For every church that is some combination of rigid doctrines and unchanging truths and, and rigid rules about gender and sexuality and stuff combined with a really bright, uh, bland building for, and that will seem to be super successful and people seem to be piling into it, I think we all can think of someone else, maybe, probably, maybe a little bit younger, not always, who's bolted the other way from that. Who, 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 the, where that very same blandness and controlledness and predictability is exactly what they find irrelevant. Because they're not looking for the newest, slickest version of Christianity. They're looking for a spirituality. Something that will help them on their own path of discovery and self-expression. So like they're kind of, and so the, that very religion that had things so beautifully, perfectly packaged can come off as bland to them, and even stifling. And so instead of being, wanting to be told what to do, they want help finding a way. And now, well, we in the church can really only offer, we offer one God, ultimately, and we offer all our paths are to that one God, as Isaiah says, that, you know, I am the one, right? We do have a lot of space in how we go about that path. And, and, and I do believe that God works in us and through us in our world sometimes. And to have a space to be able to tell your story or to be able to explore or to name the struggles on your path, it's why you end up with me, it's why you see me doing all sorts of weird hands-on kind of things at midweek services. I love them. And I have a great liturgical arts committee that helps me beautifully with this. But what am I doing? It's not just because I want to do, I, I want to recreate my childhood and play with blocks. It's because we're doing it because we're trying to have a, a space where we can put ourselves into it, where we can be creative, where we can allow the spirit to move in us as we go along that journey of exploration to find that one God. And the environment can say a lot about that. It's why for example, I love having that big mural up there, right? Yeah, there we go. It is literally the days of creation, starting at the left, light from darkness, you know, way over the waters, land from sea. Cactus evolved pretty quickly in this interpretation. <laughs> right? Night from day, then you got the waters, and then God created Nemo, right? 
All the preschool kids, first day of preschool, you see them all getting selfies in front of the, you know, in front of the Nemo. I love it. Um, right? But what does it show? What does it show? It shows to anybody barreling, barreling on that road coming this way from Picture Rocks that this is a place that values that creative spirit. That we're going to go the opposite of bland. And that we're going to value creativity and creation. It's why I, I told our social media coordinator, if you go on Facebook, our Facebook and Instagram pages, you'll see lots of these little squares that use pictures of the mural and the painting of the mural. And, and she'll, she's really good. She'll make put on these really nice little, I'll put a Bible verse on there. And uh, the point is to kind of push this ethos of being a place, an environment where the Holy Spirit can move and work in us, both in a comforting way and in an inspiring and moving way. Because if there isn't a push and a, if there isn't a push and a vision and an inspiring and, and, and a little bit of that creativity, then is it really life? Or do you have to have some of that to have life? So I believe this is a strength. I believe that this is something that really has the ability to connect people with God, to create an environment where the Holy Spirit moves and inspires us as people made in the image of God, God who is our creator. Amen.